Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello? Hi, Catherine. Read any good poems? I feel like poetry is private. Mm. My poetry is my business. What, why did you read that poem before? Because I'm losing my mind. All of my boundaries are like in flux because I'm so confused by this whole situation. That's why. If listeners send in the poetry they've written, would you consider reading it on our call? Absolutely. Hmm. What if some of the poems come from an account that seems like a totally legitimate account? <laughs> And could have been anybody. We don't know. And some of the poetry is just about the marvels of the majestic elm tree. Yeah, I mean, have we gotten one of those emails yet? I have a feeling we may. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Some terrifying sounding news going around. Yeah, we've actually gotten questions from listeners about this too. But yesterday, there was a story that was like, there's a new mutant strain of coronavirus that's even more transmissible than the one we already had. The headline was, Study reports mutant coronavirus that may be more contagious. Yeah. Mutant coronavirus? Right. Well, mutant is a word that has negative connotations, right? Despite so much work done by the Ninja Turtles. (laughs) um, Yeah, viruses mutate, especially RNA viruses. And they change, and the hope is that usually they become less severe. You know, the disease becomes less severe. Because if a strain is killing people, then those people don't pass it on, whereas people with milder disease might be out there shedding it. And over time, you get a less deadly virus, but that might mean it's more transmissible. Anyway, when I hear that headline, I don't expect then for this like sort of doomed stay scenario that it sounds like this is story is starting. Well, yeah, telling. I mean, to, to me, they might as well just come out with it. And the headline should just be, we're all going to die. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. I mean, we've also gotten questions from listeners that are like, what's up with strains? Because we keep hearing about them. And it's a great question that I don't understand. What is up with strains? What does that even mean? Should I be afraid? Because it always happens in the movies, right? The mutant strain? Yeah, like... A movie has to last two hours. And if there's an outbreak, you know, it comes pretty early on. And then something's got to get worse, right? Right. We thought we had it figured out, but the virus is one step ahead of us. Good Lord. Oh, my gosh. It's The Rock. He'll save us. Listen. What? Listen to me. I enjoy talking to you. I think you have a lot of knowledge and... I know that you could answer this question, probably, but you don't have a British accent. And I think this is the kind of information that I just can't intake unless it's in the soothing voice of Ed Young. I am grateful to Ed for going down this rabbit hole and figuring out how these messages got started and what we know about strains. Do you like his voice? Oh, who doesn't? Okay, time for Ed. Let's give Ed a call. Hello? Ed. Hey, Ed. Hello? So, Ed, 
we're going to be very efficient today and not waste a bunch of your time. Okay. But we do have to ask you how you are. Um, I am tired, but fine. All right. We're going to ask you these questions quickly so mm-hmm. that you can go take a nap, which is something we recommend for everyone. Fantastic. You should be napping. Are you napping? I, I really want to be napping. I'm going to nap right now. Okay. <laughs> Great. So I read a thing yesterday. LA Times. Mutant coronavirus strain. Mm-hmm. Now worse than the original. Okay. So this uh, story was based on a new paper that was posted online recently, which looked for mutations in the new coronavirus that have become more common over time. And the paper claims to have identified a more transmissible form of the virus, which, thanks to one specific mutation, seems to spread more efficiently than the original virus that emerged in Wuhan and has since risen to dominance in different parts of the world, like Europe and the United States. And so much panic and fear ensued about this idea that this pandemic, which was already bad enough, is just getting worse. I feel like this fear is just sort of in the air. I think people have this very uh, layperson understanding of, of viruses as things that continually change and evolve, which is largely true, that such evolution may be very fast as it is with influenza, and that there is a risk that the virus that we're dealing with might become worse in some way. And to be clear, these are all like legitimate concerns and things that scientists want to be watchful for. But I don't think there is any strong evidence that any of that has come to pass or that what this particular study and the rather inflammatory news reports that were based on it have claimed, which is that there is a more transmissible form or strain or however you want to call it of the coronavirus. I don't think there's strong evidence that that actually exists or even that there are multiple strains at all. Most of the virologists I've spoken to would agree that there is basically just one virus that the world is dealing with. Okay. There is not a new virus. There's just still COVID-19. That's not, Catherine, that's the the disease. It's the disease. We've been over this. But but what do you call this coronavirus? Because there are other coronaviruses. Yeah. So let me explain some terms that might help us think about this. Okay. Um, So the new coronavirus is called SARS-CoV-2. Nobody says that, though. Let's call it SARS-2. Okay. Okay. SARS-2. SARS-2. SARS the sequel. Worse than the first. (laughs) Two SARS, two furious. Um, Emerged in Wuhan sometime at the end of last year. And as it spread from person to person, it changed. It developed mutations, small errors, typos you can think of uh, in its genes. And this is just a normal process. This is what viruses do as they spread and they move from one person to another. So as the epidemic progressed, the entire population of this new virus um, accumulated more and more mutations. So if you think of the, like, the family tree of the virus, what you get is lots of different branches and twigs appearing, and these are different viral lineages that each have their own sets of mutations. So I understand now that the genetic code that you find in a person in Los Angeles today will be slightly different than the genetic code of coronavirus that you find 
you know, in a person in Wuhan in December and will be different from the one you might find a year from now in Russia, etc. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But this doesn't mean it's a fundamentally like different thing. Right. So you could say that those viruses all belong to different lineages. But one of the problems is that when a lot of reporters write about this, they equate lineages with different strains. And that's not how most virologists would think about it. So what is a strain? What does strain mean? Okay, so when we talk about strains, we're really implying not just that there is a genetic difference, that there are new other different mutations, but that those differences are meaningful in some way, so that you have a group of viruses that are not only genetically different from others, but that also differ in important traits, like their ability to cause disease, that's their virulence, or their ability to spread to new people, that's their transmissibility. So we're talking not just about differences, which accumulate just naturally as viruses move through the world, but about meaningful, significant differences. So one way of thinking about it might be to compare strains to, say, dog breeds. So like a corgi is very clearly very different to a Great Dane in very significant, meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. But like a black-haired corgi is not that different to a brown-haired corgi. Those corgis are like different breeds. Yeah. Strains are just like, okay, this group is kind of generally this way in a way that we can identify, and this group is this other way. Yeah, basically. There is there okay. is just there's not really any sort of fixed, clear, like everyone agrees on this definition of like what exactly is a strain. It's one of those many terms in biology that, you know, you kind of know it when you see it, right? It's a bit like art or porn or something. Sure, poetry. It. Right. Poetry, exactly. Okay. So there's no new strain. So we have this new mutation that does seem to have spread around the world and that does seem to have become more dominant in certain parts of the world, like Mm -hmm. Europe, um, some parts of the US. The question then becomes, like, does the mutation actually mean anything? Like, Does it define a new strain of this virus? Mm -hmm. And I and the others I've talked to would argue that it doesn't yet there's not sufficient evidence to say that it does. And that's because in the early stages of a pandemic, you can get totally random events that mean that certain groups of viruses with certain mutations become very common while others die out. So for example, if someone had the viruses that with this specific mutation in the early stages of the pandemic traveled from China to Italy, and kicked off a bunch of transmission there, then Mm -hmm. that mutation would become very, very common in Europe, which we then know seeded New York and other parts of America. So it could just be that the virus happened to be in the right person rather than the virus itself was in any way special. Right. So it doesn't mean that the virus is like better at spreading. It just means whoever like originated that particular spread had that particular mutation. Exactly. And so what what we have now is a situation where you have two equally plausible explanations for the patterns we're seeing. One is that the viruses with this mutation are better at spreading. And the other is that the viruses with this mutation were just really lucky and happened to have been spread well by their hosts. Got it. And crucially, the evidence that has been put forward in this new study can't tell the difference between those two 
outcomes. So we don't know is the answer. So the thing I'm taking away here is I don't need to think about this. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, no, um, but I think that's right. And I think that's actually a thing that some of the scientists I talked to said, which is that when stories like this come out, they cause a lot of fear. And this all, pandemic is already a situation where there's so much fear in the air. We end up worrying people unnecessarily based on not enough evidence. And you kind of cause a big distraction. Like, this isn't the thing that we really need to be worrying about right now. I know. This is what's so confusing is like, of course, I'm not going to understand the science. I'm so glad we have scientists and public health. Like, I really trust the people who know what they're talking about. But there's like too many people who know what they're talking about for me to process. So I rely mm -hmm. on the media to tell me what I need to think about. Yeah. And, you know, what we need to think about right now are the same kind of basic public health measures that we've talked about on this podcast before. We need widespread testing. We need to be able to find infected people, isolate them, trace their contacts. We need clear federal leadership. We need social distancing measures to allow those things to ramp up and to work effectively in situations when the pandemic is raging out of control. And that's it. Like, whether or not there is a slightly more transmissible form of the virus or not, it doesn't actually change that basic calculus of what we as a society need to do and need to focus on. So it sounds like part of the problem is the 24-hour the news cycle. People are wanting these constant updates, and not every new piece of evidence is really changing the game. That's just not how science works generally, but especially not right now when you have tiny studies of viral RNA. Yeah, totally. And like, to be clear, like, this is a decent study. I think yeah. that it's made some overblown claims, but like the fundamentals are sound and the team is really good. But like, normally, all these issues that we've talked about would just come out in the peer review process. And they would just be dealt with slowly over time. And then we'd arrive at like a clearer picture. But now, like, you go from a preliminary report being put online, and it's suddenly all over the news within a few days, launching those uncritical reports into a world where people like all of us are desperately scrabbling for more information, because we're really anxious and uncertain, and we just want to find out more. But I think that leads us into this very bad mode of information seeking because it makes us vulnerable to claims that overhype developments that are actually quite incremental. Right. It makes the scientific process seem like it's jerky and full of contradictions, which it kind of is, but just not in a bad way and in a way that does resolve itself over time. We're just not giving it that time. Things just in the movies escalate. There's a mutation and it's evolved and we thought we had it figured out, but it's evolving faster. Right, right. And that, that language, which you mentioned a bit, even if technically, yes, you are referring to evolution accurately. And yes, this is technically you could consider dominant, depending how you want to define it. You can consider this evolution. All those things could be reported accurately and yet be extremely misleading in the idea that the public hears that this is some super dangerous version as opposed to just 
all of the <laughs> factual ways in which it is simply widely spread and slightly different. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there are difficult choices we need to be making about like what exactly to report. If your goal is actually to foster a deeper and better public understanding of what is happening right now, this drip feed of like small updates, here's this one new study, here's another new study, doesn't really get us there. Yeah. I think we all want answers right now. And there are many questions that are still very perplexing. And some of those might be, as you've written about, like, why do some people get sicker than others? Or like, you know, why does one city, say New York, for example, get hit so badly while another city might largely escape? And those kinds of differences, I think, are very unsettling and curious. Mm -hmm. But it's very easy and understandable to think that it's something to do with the virus. It almost helps us make sense of all that uncertainty if it's something to do with the virus. These questions that we want answers to are probably better explained by things like underlying health inequalities, underlying social inequities. Mm -hmm. They might be to do with a failure of political action, a failure of leaders to do the right thing at the right time, to instill the right control measures. Um, and it could well be just down to really dumb bad luck. And I think those things are much harder to grapple with. Like the idea that, our leaders could have failed us or the idea that we're just the victims of bad happenstance just feel much less satisfying than the idea that we're actually facing the super powerful enemy that keeps on getting worse over time. So no wonder things are so bad. It just makes for an easier and slightly more palatable narrative despite all the fear. But I just don't think that it's actually the right one. Ed... I'm going to read you something. So last okay. week we had on Trisha Hersey, who, who runs a project called the Nap Ministry. Mm -hmm. And we tried to convince Jim to take care of his health. And now I'm realizing you may have a similar affliction of not sleeping enough. And so uh, I'm going to read you this post from the Nap Ministry. And then I'm going to instruct you to go take a nap. Here's the quote. All of culture is working against us. Modern society tells us that we don't have enough, we aren't doing enough, all lies. We have enough of everything, including time. Grind culture has created a pace that has taken away our dream space. We can restore it. We will rest. That's nice. <laughs> Go take a nap. I think, I think we will. All okay. Right. Go take a nap. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Ed. See ya. Take care. Bye. Bye. I don't know if Ed really got it. Oh, no. Like, I might need to talk to him again. I don't know that he's actually going to go take a nap. Did you really get it about the strains versus the lineages? No, but what I did get mm. is I don't have to care about this right now. Like, this is just, like, something that is not actually relevant for me to understand right now. Yeah. And the other thing I've been thinking about is just, like, I think you and Ed are totally right that we just, you know, there's this incentive in news coverage well for all of us i mean it's driven by audience need right audience desire is we're like well what's happening now <laughs> you know and yeah. i mean we are kind of we're all on the internet all day long like demanding something new to think about and in fairness to this story like 
They're just trying to say, well, this is the new thing. And I'm just realizing that I got to get more comfortable with there not being new information right now. Like, this is just the way it is. We don't know right now. Like It's not news unless it's changing what everyone, right. what people thought they right. knew. Right. There should just be an article every day that's like, still the same. We still don't know. <laughs> right. But I mean, you can that's actually the headline. say. Like, we still don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think that's a viable business model. But I'd click. You don't have to be cynical about anything at all, actually, to see like there's these tensions between just the goal of writing and the necessity of news and the desire of readers to have the latest updates and to play out worst case scenarios before they play out best case scenarios. So anyway, um, support journalism. Subscribe to theatlantic.com. You can do that at theatlantic.com slash support us. This episode today was produced by Kevin Townsend with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. And our email, if you want to write us, is socialdistance at theatlantic.com. I look forward to your poetry, Jim. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, wait, I, wait, it wasn't me. I'm not writing it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.